That's right, and welcome back to Comics Exchange, your friendly neighborhood podcast. Oh my, everyone's reversed at the table this week. It's I'm weird, it's like oh my God. bizarro world. It is, to Earth my two. right this week, we have the web-slinging Ryan Shipley. Yes. To my left, we have the owner of Knoxville's longest-running comic shop, of course, Monsignor Bill Langford. Whoa. Yeah, French. I like that. And not only do we have my two dear friends, we have another guest at the table. We have one Mr. Paul Lewis. Hey, welcome, Paul. Thank you. Made the long trip down, too, to be here. Or long trip up, right? I always say down. Why do you say down for everything, though? (laughs) It's just how it is. (laughs) He's from from like Atlanta. So Atlanta is up? You got to go up into the mountains to get to Atlanta? No. I guess it's not in a valley. Atlanta's down. No, you go straight south. Straight south. Okay. Dirty South. I know Atlanta is down for anything, but <laughs> the ATL. <laughs> um, just so everybody knows, you may hear a little bit of sound in the background tonight. The South Press next door, they're throwing some kind of rager. <laughs> What's going on? I think it's a rager or maybe a karaoke show. Did you get an invite? I think everybody's invited. We should go over there after the podcast. And yeah. The... What song should we sing? We gotta. We gotta do um, tequila, right? No. There's four of us. Boys the men. Oh, here's the ABC, thing. BBD? I get to be the guy that just talks. That's like if you were ever in a voice of men. Yeah. That's the part you want. It's just the guy that walks around with that cane going, I love you, baby. <laughs> you got to have like the deep voice, though, right? He's always got the... I can work on it. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've only performed karaoke once, and it was the Sir Mix Luck classic, Baby Got Back. Oh, yeah. It's always yeah. popular. And I, How... you know, I th- you go out on top, really. Yeah. So I don't feel a need to karaoke That's got to be one of the weird things. When we're old and uh, like in a nursing home, mm-hmm. like the ones today, they're in a nursing home. It's like Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., we're going to be talking about back, Baby Got Back from Sir Mix-a-Lot. <laughs> I wonder if, uh, how come Funky Cole Medina never gets any love? Everybody yeah, really. everybody talks about Baby Got Back, but uh, I tell you. Because funk, everybody likes backs. Funky Cole Medina. Yeah, you know, my neck, like, my back, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Butts are big. I like big books and I cannot lie. Now, Paul Lewis, I, I, that's only two names. When I sat down at the table, you guys were slinging all sorts of nicknames out here. What, what, what is these? Oh, goodness. Well, so you have to understand, <laughs> I've known Paul for a long time. Yes. So, and as you know, people for a long time they acquire nicknames, different mm-hmm. nicknames, yep. different iterations when they're going through different periods of their life. <laughs> yep. And so, uh, <laughs> my, what about my dark period? Yeah. <laughs> we call that summer mist, Paul. <laughs> I just to tell a real quick origin story. Okay. Um, everybody loves an origin story. I guess me and Paul have known each other for going on maybe thirty years. Yeah, probably but, around that. But I met Paul. I think first time around the Knoxville comic book scene, and I would see him at local stores so me and paul would we would see each other and then i think one time we were even set up next to each other at a uh, at a convention at a local yeah. con yeah um, this is before you had the shop this is before i had the shop i would okay. set up on the weekends and there would be like these little holiday inn type shows oh and, i remember those yeah, yeah. and yeah, so yeah. Uh, i'd set up at those and i saw paul at one and so oh but over the time we we developed kind of a, a friendship so that being said when i first met paul i think we called him Kevin Smith's friend <laughs> because <laughs> at the time he was doing something for, for Viewerskew, which was Kevin Smith's production company, I believe. Wow. Oh, nice. And so uh, everybody just kind of, when I say everybody, I mean me and, and John Tipton. Yeah. We refer to him as, as, as Kevin Smith's friend, Paul Lewis. Uh, then when Paul went to work at Borders, we called him uh, Borders Paul. 
Or That's not that original. No, or it may have been Paul from across the border, which I, I can't recall, but it had something to do with borders. I think it was borders, Paul. Yeah. And then when he went Books to, a Million, Paul would have been better. That's where you oh. probably should have worked. It's, it would have been a mouthful. But when he went to work in doing movies and TV shows, we called him Hollywood Paul. Yep. And then when Sopranos got big, we called him Polly Walnuts. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but now it's just, yeah, I called him my friend Paul. Paul Lewis. Oh. Paul Lewis. I think we yeah. all, everybody always, talk, when they talk about him, yeah. it's both names. Like Josie Wells. Yeah, it's it's Paul Lewis. <laughs> yes. It's the whole name. Well, now you can add podcast Paul to the list. Yeah. Well, and one good. thing with like talking to him, like if people that would come and pick up books when you were in the other place, mm-hmm. if they ever needed a book that wasn't on the floor, that was in the back room, yeah. Paul made most of that successful for people to find those books in that back room. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Paul uh, was a invaluable asset as far as filing books. <laughs> when Paul would come into town, he'd help me out and take mercy on me. I think more so, so he could find books that he was missing. Yeah. <laughs> but but he would, yeah, he would but help. How many me. books did you think were back there in the old in the old building? Oh, like it was tens it, of thousands. Yeah, it was probably Ooh. close to seven hundred long boxes. Dang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you went back there and you knew the alphabet, you could find <laughs> what you were looking for thanks to Paul. Like, how long of a project did that take when you started it? Well, I mean, it was just the maintenance of it was really the problem getting them really into some kind of fighting shape was in a week or two really really but but once once you kind of had the system going you know and again it's the alphabet it's 26 letters it's not that hard (laughs) you know but it's really just you know so many books coming in every week and you know and then taking them off the floor and being sure they're alphabetically proper so that they can be found uh and i was always happy to do it i mean i i find just being in this environment kind of relaxing I yeah. mean, since I don't have to, you know, since it's not really my job and I'm choosing to be here yeah. or then it's just, I just like being around comic books. So I guess we should go ahead and tell people what officially is your job. Like what do you, I have always you know loved film and television. I mean, Bill and I have had as many conversations about, you know, movies as we have uh, about comic books. And I just have always, you know, since I can remember, I always wanted to, be involved in the production of film and television and whatnot. Of course, I wanted to be a writer-director. That was the original goal. However, Your time Smith should have helped you with that. <laughs> <laughs> but as time, well, I'll, I'll get to uh, I'll get to Kevin. But as time went on, you know, you have to make money, so you have a career. I was working in educational public relations, but I was you know going to a lot of comic comic conventions and whatnot. Eventually, that led to the early days of the internet. Kevin had a, uh, you know, the Viewskew website, which he was very active on. And uh, after being... Sil- Silent Bob, right? Yes. This okay. is this is uh, Silent Bob, not the former, what, safety for the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, Kevin was really active on the website. And he used to have a deal when he was with Miramax that he could... Uh, like essentially fund these micro budget movies, these really low budget films. And he did two or three of them. And one of them, because of being on the website, I kind of got hired to be a production assistant wow. on this so, movie. It was yeah. so about six weeks up in New Jersey for a, 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 almost a kind of a sketch comedy movie called Big Helium Dog, which has never been released. Yeah. Screened oh. at a couple of film festivals. That's it. I've seen it. I know it exists, okay. but it has not been released into the wild. Uh, but the guy who wrote and directed it, Brian Lynch, mm-hmm. went on to work for Imagine Entertainment, which uh, yeah. you know does like the Despicable Me and yep. uh, the Minions movie. movies, yeah. that stuff. So he's you know it worked out well for him. It got him a, a, a you know a writing gig and producing gig in Hollywood. 
but yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a relic that uh, a few people know about, and I think there are some some you know really uh, grainy clips you can maybe <laughs> find if you look really hard on, on oh, online. Awesome. You know that was allowing you know sort of seeing how the sausage is made, and you know even on the small scale of this really low budget film, just kind of made me hungry for. So that made you only want to do it more, right? Just kinda... yeah, very much. And I did come back to Knoxville and stay here for a while, and I actually wrote some stuff. Uh, really started trying to write in earnest, but you know it, it takes a lot takes a lot of effort to you know get an agent and get your work in front of yeah. people's eyes that can that can do something about it. You know, cut to, you know cut to the chase. I eventually moved to Los Angeles and and actually start trying to uh, do some stuff. Did you work properly. on anything while you were in Los Angeles? I worked as an extra starting. Oh, you did extra work. Yeah, you can go to Los Angeles and go into central casting and there are more than one casting agency but central is the biggest one and you can be working within a couple of days really you just go in get on their database and at least at the t- at that time you could i'm curious so how much does extra work pay not a whole lot <laughs> um, and, and does it depend on the movie like you get paid more uh, if you're an extra on well i not necessarily it's really more about if you have a certain look that they want okay. or if you have a certain skill, like say they need somebody to juggle. And this was during the Scruffy Paul phase, right? When we called you Scruffy Paul, you had kind of the, <laughs> well, you were always thug number one. Well, or... I, can't, I can't speak to that, but uh, you know, I, I was unaware of some of these <laughs> nicknames until about five minutes ago. <laughs> But uh, Scruffy Paul is probably my favorite era. <laughs> Scruffy Paul is great. I, I was much gruffier at the time. And that just kind of set me on the path. I worked as a production assistant, which is kind of the lowest rung of the ladder above. Is it like how they portray it in the movies with how people are again with production assistants? Like you're doing everything, running around? To to a point, you know, but but even like their production assistants for production, you know, working with the assistant directors and whatnot. And then there are also sort of PAs for different departments so you can be like a costume pa or a props mm. pa or you know what have you i have uh, a friend that was a production assistant mm-hmm. to a big director and one of his jobs he had to do his director's kids uh, homework sometimes oh my gosh. Uh, they had to do one of those uh was this for michael bay <laughs> it wasn't for michael bay okay. but they had to do school projects for him yeah, okay yeah 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 yeah, uh, that seems above and beyond the what you should have to what do. What you should have to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, all I will say is that does not surprise me. <laughs> no, um, dioramas. He did the di. He had to do a diorama Ooh. for a kid's school project, and I think the kid got a B, and the director wasn't happy. <laughs> that's the, yeah, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of pressure. Like I can go pick up the dry cleaning. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Don't expect, I'll get your coffees, but, but it, don't expect me to make a model of the solar system. But here's the thing: if I get your food for yeah. you, expect it to be pretty much wrong. Just be happy that I got the food from the right place. <laughs> just be happy Rod didn't uh, dip his hand into your French fries. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, just be happy you got some fries back. So you did production assistance for a Yeah, I mean, just a little bit. It's yeah. it's not terribly rewarding work, but, you know, it, it, it pays. Uh, pays better than being an extra. So, and also, like, uh, just as an aside, like, w- one of the greatest gigs you could get was sometimes you would go work on a sitcom not as someone who's on camera, but they liked having laughers in the audience to oh, kind of set, really? have set timing. So huh. you could, like, I remember did that for like the George Lopez show a couple of times. What? That <laughs> explains why the show Joey actually had laughs. <laughs>, 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 <laugh
But yeah, so it's just they, they want to work on timing. They like working okay, with an yeah, audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of comedians like working with a live yep. audience. Oh, this is this is my favorite story from that. Uh, it, this is on the Warner Brothers lot. Yeah, so they, we, they break us for lunch. They provide us food. And it's a really nice day out. So I go out and there's kind of behind this soundstage, which is way back on the lot, there's like this low wall leading up to kind of a bungalow. And it's the perfect place to just kind of sit down and... You know, it's sure. a little bit shaded, so it's not you're not that I don't have the sun beating down on you. So a guy comes over to me and says, you, you might not want to sit there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, why? You know, OK, I'll move. But, you know, can you tell me why? He's like, well, yeah, the, a bungalow over there. That's Clint Eastwood's. Bungalow. Oh, and uh, he doesn't really like it when people sit here. And he relayed the story. <laughs> Get off my lawn. <laughs> kind of. He's off just my like lawn. his Gran Torino character. Well, well he, he relayed the story that this there was a woman who just like I was, you know, had a sandwich or something, was sitting there to eat lunch. And Mr. Eastwood drives up uh, and is making his way to his bungalow and I guess sees her and she's starstruck. I mean, it's Clint Eastwood. And she's like, oh, are you enjoying that sandwich? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yes, sir. Thank you. Go enjoy it someplace else. Oh, wow. This is the story as relayed to me. I did not witness That's incredible. It. But here's the thing. Even if that happens, you got a story f- to tell anybody for the rest of your life. <laughs> that's a, great, that's a yeah. great story. I would be okay with Clint Eastwood telling me off. Now, what's who, who would be the most famous person that you have, uh, you've had the honor of meeting on a, a movie set? Oh. oh, and, oh and, and, and follow up. What was it like to kiss Anne Hathaway? <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You haven't heard that? No. Record. No, I, right I, no I, but I was hugged by Liv Tyler once. Oh, okay. I, I may have got my stories mixed up. Yeah, yeah, that that was nice. But anyway, so again, cut forward yes. to a while after Hurricane Katrina. Uh, mm. The way the movie business and TV business works is they basically, yeah, they shoot a lot in LA and New York, mm. but they also uh, go to film in places where they have all these tax incentives that the the state government has passed. Right. And uh, that's a big reason why Georgia has become like a major hub for production, and they're building sound stages and there's so many all productions going on in the yeah, so, Atlanta it's, area. It's yeah. because of these tax credits yep. that the state offers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but years ago, Louisiana had these massive tax breaks, and after Hurricane Katrina, there were these shows that were supposed to shoot in New Orleans, and maybe even Baton, even Baton Rouge was sort right. of overrun after that. But Shreveport, which is about five hours away, almost up in Texas, even though it's kind of small wasn't overrun with you know the the crap that comes after a natural disaster so Mm. some of these productions kind of just picked up and and moved to Shreveport so there was this little mini boom in Shreveport for like three four or five years Mm -hmm. and I sort of saw an opportunity down there and uh, went down to went down to Shreveport Louisiana for a while started uh, attempting to work in props Mm -hmm. I thought that was was kind of interesting yeah but Prop departments, unless you're on a major, major big movie, tend to be you know, two, maybe three people, especially oh, wow. especially huh. on the smaller. And budget. one of them is always Carrot Top, so he's, <laughs> yeah. no one likes working with that guy. Yeah. You know your movie's good if you got Carrot Top if as your doing prop, prop. Oh, of course, yeah, prop master, the biggest prop chest in all the business. I uh, knew people in uh, in uh, in costumes. Mm-hmm. They're just costumes just tends to be a larger department. Yes, and uh, so there might be shows where I didn't get the props gig. 
but they'd call and say, hey, do we need a PA for, for costumes? Can you come on over? So what would you do as the PA for costuming? You, you know, you'd unbox and hang up clothes. You do like returns, like because you go out and, and you buy stuff for, say, a new character that's coming, you know, and so you have to do a fitting. And, you know, the stuff that you don't use, you take back because otherwise your budget would be insane. Hmm. And you, just any any kind of small task that might need to be done to keep the wheels greased uh, is, is kind of what a PA does. What's the first show or movie that you did once you started working like in Atlanta? Uh, in Atlanta, the oh, what was the first? The first big I show. I feel like we have an, a live audience in here tonight. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. like. Yeah. The first significant show, well, there were there were really two that got me got me uh, situated in Atlanta really well. Mockingjay, both of those movies, okay. and uh, as well as Constantine, the television show, which oh, you may uh, have okay. memory nice. of. And uh, those great were, casting for that. Yeah, that was that was a really well cast show. Yeah. Uh, sadly, we only got 13, 13 of them. And I thought, you know, I mean, no show is, you know, trying to translate that dark material to mm-hmm. a network show mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, is yeah. difficult to do. But I thought with the constraints they had, they actually did quite a quite a good it job. It was NBC, right? Yeah, it was NBC. Okay. I remember uh, Mark Verheiden was a, was a writer on that. Who did a lot of the early Aliens comics, yeah. right? Uh, mm. And I just kind of, I, I writers, speaking, you know, interesting since the writer strike is happening as we record this but uh when a show in my opinion when a show is really running well Mm -hmm. the writer of an episode even though they're probably in la like headquartered in la they'll come to the set and just sort of be available so they'll fly them to the set yeah and they're there for a few days just to kind of help answer questions do last minute rewrites you know figure out if something isn't working or maybe they have to change something because like an upcoming episode Mm -hmm. yeah any number of reasons why you might want the writer on set yeah so i remember mark was there and i actually had a really nice chat with him uh i was like uh yeah i talked about the aliens comics that's cool yeah (laughs) awesome and and what sucked is like i i basically i was trying to kind of be bold you know since i'm a writer myself Mm -hmm. uh and i said hey man like you know tell you what next time you come to town if 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 it's okay with you i'll you know i'd love to like take you to lunch and pick your brain because he said at one point in time david goyer who produced was one of the producers on constantine had done the same thing with him Kind of, yeah, took a oh, cool. Okay. And, yeah, you know, yeah. well, not necessarily like a mentor-mentee thing, but, but just, just some advice. Know, yeah, yeah, just, you know, yeah. Yeah, we'll go out to lunch and talk about the industry and, you know, figure out what's up. And, you know, if I can give you some advice, I will. That's awesome. Uh, so anyway, I kind of started working in costumes as a production assistant. And then there was a show called, and I say show, show is meant to, that's an all-encompassing term mm-hmm. with um, among crew members called season of the witch uh, nicholas cage medieval yes, oh yeah cage, um, yes. <laughs> and nicholas cage had just finished uh in shreveport shooting a movie called drive angry which i had also worked on <laughs> oh, wow. he worked on that yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, patrick lucier directed it todd farmer wrote it both really wonderful dudes and uh which is not always something you can say for like people that high up the chain mm. that, that you know there are people I've worked with. I couldn't tell you what they're like because I never, it's not my job to go you like, never interact, paths. interact yeah. with the director and they're yeah. not, but you know, those guys were great. They were open. You know, I, I think that Patrick Lucier, uh, who's, you know, he edited scream. Like mm. that's how he kind of, I think made his, the original. Name. Yeah. The original scream. Oh, cool, nice. Hmm. Uh, but he, he, he directs a lot of stuff as well. And a lot of it, you know, being horror. Mm-hmm. 
but anyway, so uh, I'm on this movie reshoots for uh, Season of the Witch. The ager dyer or textile artist, uh, some people. What did you say, age? Ager slash dyer, meaning you age clothes or dye clothes and frequently both. A lot of people like the term textile artist. I don't don't, 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 essentially. I don't really care. So you would basically take clothes and like, if they need to look like they're kind of older or whatever, like you have ways that you can age the clothes. Oh, precisely. Like yeah. Sandblast some paints. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and and so um, the the guy that they had uh, doing the work for this movie just needed some help. And by really, and you know, this is by virtue of being like a you know somewhat young, able-bodied male, and because a lot of this work was stirring dye pots. Out in oh. the out in the like early September heat of oh, Shreveport, Georgia. Oh dear God! No, Shreveport, Louisiana. Which oh, is, this is still, oh. oh, so now you're battling also like giant mosquitoes too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So and then that's so that went on for a while, and then that guy came back a few months later to do another project and hired me to do that, and that sort of began my road uh, as a textile artist. Hmm. Now again, I I I, I want to say that. Like, I, I really enjoy my job, but mm-hmm. if you had told me, like, back in high school, oh, yeah, you're going to be working in costumes, right. I would have laughed at you. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the this is the road that was presented so to like me. So, like, in high school, were you working behind the scene on plays, or were you doing any um, Yeah, I was in the drama yeah. department, and I ended up um, being the lead in the school play as a senior. Nice. Not because I wanted to be, okay. <laughs> but because I was kind of the only... Uh, reliable, uh, kind of straight presenting male in the in the in the group. Okay. So uh, I was kind of forced to be Petruchio in Taming of the Shrew. I tell you right now, if I did have a time machine, I would go back to high school Paul's days to tell him that one day you're going to be working in costume. Also, you're going to have the nickname Scruffy Paul. Just a heads up. That's a very selfish use of a time machine. Well, no, I'm going to also use it to kill Hitler. Don't worry. Okay, okay. But you know, I got all the time at all times at my fingertips. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Let me ask you this. Having been involved with the textile work, uh, has that made you more interested or pay more attention to cosplay stuff, anything like that? Oh. Uh, I guess to a point, uh, there are people who like, really do high-end cosplay. Uh, there is some crossover in mm. sort of the skills it, it takes to sort of construct those costumes and kind of, you know, because a lot of those fabrics are dyed or sure. aged or, or what have you. Uh, I have to admit that cosplay, and I know some really good cosplayers, it's, it's just not as much my thing. Like sure. I enjoy, okay. I enjoy the books, the, you know, the, the books and mm-hmm. the movies that the cosplay is actually based on. Yeah. I mean, there's some, there's some fantastic stuff out there that mm-hmm. people spend years working on. And it's just, I can't, I'm not working on anything that long unless I'm getting paid. For it. <laughs> well, and and, yeah. and now you're having the opportunity to to make your own project, right? Are you doing something here locally? Yeah, uh, for and this uh, is something you're writing and directing. Yeah, this is okay. basically uh, I was gearing up to sort of work on this when the pandemic happened, and the pandemic sort of underlined more of the fact that if you want to do something, you just need to freaking do it. Right. Because mm-hmm. uh, this, yeah. this is a script I've had for over 10 years, and it's, um, it's a fake 1950s television show. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's really based on uh, my love of film noir and it's kind of that atmospheric sort of cinema. So it's a fake detective show from, from 1957, and there, it's actually a comedy. There's a central conceit, which I don't want to 
uh, spoil okay. uh, in case you know somebody decides to run with it before I finish. <laughs> well, I've read the script and it's it's hilarious. Well, thank you, yeah, thank you. It's very well written. And but what, when I was gearing up to actually do it, like I because I've been living with this for ten years, so like two more scripts just kind of just popped out. Oh wow! Like almost nice. just they flow. I mean, like gremlins. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, but there's something to be said. Like sometimes, like the creative urge just mm, kind of overcomes yeah. you, mm-hmm. and it's easier to write the scripts than it is to shoot the movie. But <laughs> huh. I guess when you're um, writing your own script that you're going to shoot, are you being mindful of locations you're going to need? Like how much this is going to cost to actually? Oh, absolutely. Put it from uh, paper to like to some film? some of the screenplays that I've written, which of course are unproduced. Uh, I always have in mind. Okay, this is like a horror horror movie probably lower budget uh so i'll just set it in like one area yeah or you know limit the number of characters that are in it or try yeah you know, so yeah I'm, I'm mindful of budget when i write some stuff but some okay. stuff you also don't want to think about budget you just want to write what you write and then you'll figure it out later if you're ever lucky enough to get it produced and you're um shooting this in south knoxville some of it yeah i've, I've shot some stuff around town you know, it's going much, much slower than I would have liked. I actually started back in December, and I've only managed to get uh, one half a scene <laughs> completed <laughs> since then. And now with the writer's strike, you're on strike, so you can't... Uh, yeah, well, pins no, down, Paul Lewis. Well, yeah, yeah, you can't. No rewrites. It, it's already written. It's already written. Okay, good. Okay. And I'm not a member of the WGA. So. <laughs> uh, and you were talking earlier about the casting for this. Can you talk uh, speak more? Well, yeah, uh, the casting is... Uh, some of the parts were written for people, people that I know like the central relationship and the you know the detective and the girl Friday are just based on you know my my, actually my girlfriend and like her friend for ages so it's really kind of based on their dynamic well I think what Ron's trying to inelegantly ask is is there a role for him in this film (laughs) is there somewhere you can put Ron in this movie in December yes oh look now now play like a dead body I don't want to have to memorize lines (laughs) oh memorizing lines is terrible because I I am actually in it as well oh nice not, not, are you doing a little M. Night Shyamalan stuff here Not <laughs> yourself in the movies this is the M. Night Paul phase again not not going Paul back Shyamalan. to like the high school like drama thing yeah not because I want to but because when you're shooting something like this right. you know, very low budget all hands on uh, deck then like if I'm in it mm-hmm. and largely it's kind of an expository character so it's not like I am that central to most of the plot you're not in like Shyamalan where you're like playing a character that's very important for the development of the plot <laughs> not at all okay is this going to be a full length no this is basically it's a half hour okay uh, even though detective shows most of the time were an hour you know I, yeah I, the, the the plot is very bare bones right. <laughs> as it's intended to be I don't want to you know, I don't want the plot to get in the way of the jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something I, I, I'm, believe me, I've written stuff uh, and kind of looked at it later and said, eh, you know, I don't know. But some stuff you write and it sticks with you and like, oh, that was a good idea or um, I'd really like to revisit that at some point. Right. And this is, I really have two things that I've written over the years that I think are, are really strong. And one of them is a horror script and the other one was this kind of little silly idiosyncratic film right. noir uh, influenced yeah. comedy. We're definitely expecting tickets to the, the yeah. premiere. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Premiere tickets. I'm hoping... Uh, I'm know. not dressing up, though. <laughs> there yeah. are... You get why, me why, as I am. Why'd you buy that tuxedo? <laughs> <So> <laughs> You're I could, not going to wear it. It's a rip-away tuxedo. Oh, oh yes. even better. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, yeah. I, I don't know how long it is going to take to finish it. I would have thought I would have been done with the first one by now. Mm-hmm. But living in Atlanta and working, because I've been working really a lot this, this past year. Uh, so it's been hard to make it up. What are you um, working on currently? Uh, I'm working currently on a, a Marvel project, Ooh. Marvel Cinematic oh. Universe, which I shall not name. You cannot name it. No, the, the NDA is, is pretty ironclad. Um, I can imagine. Yeah. It's Marvel, so I'd can imagine. Can we take guesses? Power Pack? <laughs> You're power doing a Power Pack movie? <laughs> power Pack would be awesome. Mike, get this to the press immediately. Yeah. Hot news, hot news. Yeah. I think Paul winked at me when I said that. So <laughs> that means yes. And, it, yes. and it doesn't break, I'm no lawyer, but that doesn't break NDA if you wink. <laughs> Correct. Yes. And I guess right now, like the strike isn't impacting it because they're just working off of what they have. It is uh, since it's written. Now, if somebody decides to throw up a picket line in front of, you know, in front of the studio where they're shooting, that's that's another thing. Yep. But as of now, uh, you know, they, they can if something is written in general, it can continue to be produced. It's just if they had had to do any kind of rewrites, that would be where it would be kind of frowned upon. Like that. Yeah. And Marvel always does additional photography uh, and kind of figures out stuff kind of late in the game. So um, is there any worry with like the SGA maybe also going on strike in June or July? Oh, uh, uh, Screen Actors Guild? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that that's very likely. A lot of people sort of... The smart money was on uh, the Writers Guild going on strike. Mm -hmm. I I mean, Yahtzee, which is the union I'm in, almost struck about a year and a half ago. Hmm. And, you know, uh, one of the... One of the issues is artificial intelligence, you know, because, uh, you know, studios like the idea of artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. and maybe just having one human being kind of edit... Right. Uh, the stuff that comes out of the AI instead of having a room full of writers. Yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot more than that. There's residuals from streaming and all kinds of other, you know, quality of life uh, issues. Yeah, and that makes sense because the big rumor is that Netflix is the one that's really holding up a lot of what's going on with the Writers Guild right now. Really? And that kind of makes sense because Netflix is all streaming. Yeah. I'm and going to. I'm going to remember this because if I'm nice to the robots, maybe they will let me be an editor for them one day. <laughs> yes, <laughs> be extra yeah. nice. And you're also. What's the other show that you're doing? Oh, uh, I just finished. Well, then just like back in March, uh, the first season. It's not a. It's not a genre show unless you count cop shows as genre. Uh, will Trent. Yeah, which is getting it, which I've heard really good buzz about. I've read the first couple of books by Karen Slaughter. She's an Atlanta author, and this was a very popular series of crime novels. And they, you know, they've adapted it to TV and set it in Atlanta, where the books are set, which is nice. Yeah, I worked uh, a little bit on the pilot episode, and then when it got picked up, I was called to come back and, and work on the, uh, you know, the other twelve that they and, shot. And it's not something where you're like, on hey. Right now, I'm working on episode seven. You could be working on like a few episodes all at once. Well, the way TV works is, you know, you're constantly working on, you know, because there's always a new script uh, coming through. So while you're shooting an episode, like you're kind of prepping the next episode at the same time. Yeah. And also, but you never know, like there could be reshoots or, you know, something that has to be changed from, you know, an episode previous for any number of reasons. So you could conceivably be working in like three or four episodes at the same time at the same time yeah right you want to be at least you know four or five episodes ahead so that's kind of fascinating right there so post-production thank you guys uh (laughs) post-production for a uh for a movie like usually they'll wrap shooting and there's like six or seven months in between but for television they're usually like running 
four weeks ahead of whenever or four or five weeks ahead of whenever an episode would actually air yeah i mean you know let's say the first episode airs we might be on episode actually shooting episode five or six huh so not that much time between no not really you know roughly it takes a, a, a television drama on average takes about eight days to shoot was it interesting because i know you worked a little bit on stranger things was that tricky with how fast kids grow (laughs) (laughs) actually yes that was stranger things is one of the gigs that i've had i helped out a little bit in season one and then uh seasons two three and four i came back fairly regularly to to help does it feel like running up a hill uh, <laughs> it is. It that is uh, a very challenging show to do. We can't. Yeah. Afford, we can't afford the music, though. Right? Yeah. Sorry. Do not play that, Mike. When you're dealing with clothes for a character, it's exceptionally rare for a main character that you have only have like one piece of clothing usually you have two or three or four yeah uh, because you never know what might happen you might need more than one sometimes you need it for like a stunt or okay. you know that so it's like, going like to get the same done outfit in. yeah you exactly, may get like exact, two copies of the exact outfit. same oh, outfit. okay yeah and usually far more than two okay wow uh huh. and um with when you're dealing with kids <laughs> uh kids grow <laughs> And so you're, you're having, to, <laughs> so you're having to deal with. So you have you have to make it. They're they're growing out of their shoes or they're growing out of their you know shirts or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So you have to get the exact same pieces like a size up, and, and you, if they have been aged or yeah 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 you know whatever uh, might have been done with them, you have to replicate that so that they look like it's the exact same shirt, even though it's. Yeah. And that yeah. show is probably more time consuming than most shows. So you're probably having to think, how much are these kids going to grow in like five or six months, right? Oh, more than five or six months. Oh, like, okay. Like a year. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Because I guess you don't want to know. Yeah, because you, cause you look at TV shows like Lost. Uh-huh. They had to write the kid out of the third season of Lost because his growth spur, he started looking like Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, was it Walt? Yeah, it was Walt. Yeah. And it was like... Yeah, we can't do this anymore. We gotta, we gotta write him off of this show. Yeah, they had to come up with a reason. In uh, but he shows back up later, right? He shows up in the um the last season, but yeah. but yeah, but he was a full grown man. But that's gonna be fascinating. So once the costumes are picked and you're figuring it all out, you have to do. So you're still doing the same like three or four copies of this, but you gotta do it in different sizes. Yeah, I mean, you know, best case scenario, they don't grow out of the clothes that they're wearing. But, uh, you know, it, it happens frequently, especially a show that is on as long as you know, it takes as long to produce as Stranger Things. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a constant something that you're you're thinking of. It's like, hey, your voice was half a pitch lower last week. What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's like. Keep take, we told you to take these puberty blockers. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but since those kids are, like, so central to the plot, like, it's, oh, yeah. the show is about the kids. Right. Yep. You, you can't, can't, like, you can't recast them. You can't, like, you know, cut away or say, right. oh, you. Cause, and, and, and the shows, you know, the shows, every season happens just within a few days. Yep. So uh, you can't uh, sort of hide the fact that they're, they're, you know, they're very clearly had a growth spurt from season one to season two and season two to season three. And now I think all the kids are over 18. So I think so. Yeah. So, so no more child uh, labor laws, right? You can, oh, you yeah. can work them. You're working you late. Work yes. The parents don't have to be on set with them anymore. So, yeah, they okay. can, you know. Well, and, and actually speaking of actors, uh, 
somber note for uh, this oh, week yeah. we had the uh, the passing of uh, Ray Stevenson. Yep. Yeah, and that was kind of fascinating because we had just spoke about him in our pirate episode. Oh, uh, he was yeah, he yep. played Captain Blackbeard on uh, Black Cells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, also was was known. That's the. I guess he was in what the second Punisher film. Yeah, I thought it was. Well, wait, no, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Third. Yeah, Punisher yeah, Warzone. Yeah. I forgot about Dolph Lundgren's. A lot of Punisher. people forgotten about Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, yeah, and Dolph Lundgren's like, what the? Come on, guys. <laughs> I put my heart and soul into that movie. Also, in the upcoming Ahsoka series, I believe is one of the main yeah. villains. Yeah, and he played uh, that. He's transitioning that character from. He played it in the cartoon, and he's playing it now in the live action, which they seem like they did a lot with. Uh, a lot of the actors in Disney that does series, that. Yeah. yeah, and of course uh, he was one of the Warriors three yeah, in the Thor films. Ooh, nice. Yeah. And so. what a fifty-eight. Yeah, not, yeah, not really, that old. Really it's young. ridiculous. Yeah. Like when you're younger, you think fifty-eight sounds like an old man. I don't think they've announced anything official as far as calls of death. They haven't right? announced that yet. Mm. It was very sad. You know, normally at the end of the episode, we like to do the book of the week. It's always a fun thing to do. Uh, uh, we're not going to do that this week because there's been some changes made to the shipping schedule, right? So unfortunately, Diamond sent me an uh, email earlier this week and said there had been a truck accident. Mm. Uh, said it was a tragic accident. But unfortunately, a lot of the product, the I think mostly the Marvel and the IDW product, been it looks da- to be just the Marvel and IDW stuff from what came in this week. Yes. It had either been damaged or destroyed in the accident. Wow. So, um, and that was a truck that was headed this way? So, it was, yes. it was. I think it was delivering to most of the stores, to the warehouse that uh, handles most of the stores on the East Coast, the comic book stores on the East Coast. Man. So, of course, you know, our, our, our main concern is that everybody's okay. But the yeah. second concern is just, yeah, it's getting the, the books to the retailers. And so it's good. The good news is the stuff will show up, uh, but it'll be a week late, maybe two weeks late. So are they going to, so you mentioned that, are they going to plan like they're going to maybe have half of it that was supposed to be this week show up next week and the other half the week after? It looks that way. So that way they don't swamp retailers with yeah. uh, hitting them with one big heavy week mm, and or, yeah. or in customers, you know, that way they spurred out over two weeks and. But yeah, so we'll, we'll get caught up, but it's just going to be a process of a couple of weeks for, for Marvel and IDW. But everything else, DC, uh, Boom, Dynamite, everything else shipped on time. But Yeah, so yeah. for people that are coming in or just mm-hmm. mainly Marvel people, just... It, you're you, going to be patient yeah. for a week. You can call like next week to see what did ship from this week to the next, yeah. It just sounds so disruptive for a store that show uh, based on scheduling. It just seems like it'd be crazy to have to deal with that. Yeah, Have yeah. you had to deal with anything like that in the past? Only during COVID, oh, right, right. when uh, they stopped for the first time in my life, I can recall uh, there were no comics that came out for a period of close to two months, I believe. What did you do with yourself during that time? <laughs> I played, lot, I played people... a lot of video games. Yeah, you couldn't let <laughs> yes, people in. You came gonna... to the store, right? So I but still you... came into work. Yeah, but you yeah. couldn't like really do much. So we did some mail order people. Uh, we sold some stuff online. We had some uh, people that would drive up and would do uh, curbside. Yeah. Uh, but we still found ways. Now, on the positive side, we didn't have that huge bill of new comics every week. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Our, our overhead dropped drastically. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't a, it's, I wasn't affected as much as some of my friends were who owned, you know, like lighting and DJ businesses or uh, catering businesses. You have some cool friends, DJs. Yes. yes. Whoa. Yeah. Um, so uh, luckily I had revenue streams that I was able to tap into during COVID. And we were able to, but it was weird for, for no new books for, for two months. That was shocking, wasn't it? And well, and that's what caused, I think, Marvel and DC, the reason we have more than one distributor now. So oh, yeah, because pre-COVID, yeah, everything yeah. was through Diamond, Diamond yep. Distributors. 
And after COVID, I think the companies realize that in the future, there's a good likelihood um, that this may happen again as far as a pandemic. Uh, we've already had H1N1, swine flu, COVID, yeah. uh, bird flu. So they want to future-proof themselves. So what they did was so that in the future, Diamond can't just say, we're not going to ship your books. They found other distributors now. So if you want to get DC Comics or Marvel Comics, you have options. Um, and that, but also Marvel and DC has options. So yeah, one distributor yeah, yeah, yeah. doesn't completely shut them off. Yeah. They, if one distributor decides they don't want to ship their product, they can go to the other distributor. Yeah, I think we were blessed in Knoxville that we didn't lose any comic book stores. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I know nationwide there were some that. Oh, uh, definitely that, there were some like that had been around for a while. Yeah, unfortunately that that did go out of business. But yeah, in Knoxville we we were able. I think um, people forget like how dependent <clears throat> the stores are for the new books, right? Like. So some stores rely almost exclusively on new books for their revenue. Yeah. Uh, luckily, most of the stores in Knoxville kind of diversify, and we have back issues, graphic novels, uh, action figures, statues, yeah, um, other stuff to sell. So, but yeah, the stores that were just basically diamond stores that just carried were diamond catalogs put into brick and mortar stores. Yeah. Those, those are the stores that really suffered. Now during that era, was he called COVID Paul? <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. All right, good. No, it was. I just uh, want to make sure. Pestilence it was, Paul. It was <laughs> Pangolin Paul. Typhoid Harry. <laughs> so one more about the uh, the shows you worked on. You also did Ozarks. Uh, yeah, that is. And that sounds uh, like one of your favorite. That is the best job I've ever had. Really? Uh, yeah, it was just you know, you, you think about like what makes a good job and like you know what because you know some people it would be being left completely alone and doing something by themselves in lieu of that if you actually have to work with people yeah uh ozark was like there were the the crew kept coming back we we had very little turnover each after each season because people kind of knew what a great gig it was yeah it was you know reasonable i mean you work crazy long hours which is and where did that one shoot at that shot in Atlanta. Atlanta, okay. Uh, I think they did a little bit of, uh, in the first season, they actually did go up to the uh, Ozarks and like shot some exterior scenes. Now, okay. did you do anything on uh, Walking Dead when it was in Atlanta? Uh, I worked on Walking Dead for a week once. Okay, oh, okay. Uh, but it was that was all it was ever intended to be. It was just a week. Okay. I had no desire to work on that full time. <laughs> the truth is, him and Daryl Dixon did not get along. That's, that's what I heard. Yeah. Well, I did. I was. I remember it was uh, Carrie Payton's birthday, uh, King Ezekiel's birthday. Oh, cool. Uh, the, one of the days I was there. If you work on a show, they usually production will usually give you a wrap gift, mm. and I, you know. Sometimes it's just like a water bottle or a hat or a T-shirt or a jacket. Uh, In this particular case, Jason Bateman, I guess, knew somebody at Converse. (laughs) And uh, God, like, if you've watched Ozark, then the title sequence in every episode has all these symbols. Mm -hmm. Uh, So basically, we got a custom pair of chucks Hmm. with, like, all these symbols printed on it and like on the back it said the end oh wow that's <laughs> that amazing was, right yeah that was it that was and like i think season three we got like a yeti cooler and that was from <laughs> Ju- justine bateman or no, justin no bateman? Justin, <laughs> you, justin bateman seems like an all-around good guy he does he absolutely does yeah, yeah i did not i only like talked to him twice don't like, ruin it's, this for us it's Paul. not <laughs> it is no i'm just saying it's not don't my, ruin it i'm not it's not my job okay. to meet the actors but yeah he was. but you did get to meet this actor you got to meet a few of the you met julia garner right 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, Tell me uh, that she's awesome in real life. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have. She seems perfectly nice to me. I've, uh, uh, yeah, but I like I didn't meet Laura Linney until the very end. Oh, really? And I basically was like, you know, I've been working on this show for four seasons. I've not met number two on the call sheet. Huh. You know, our, our female lead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I went to her costume. Was like, you know, I haven't talked to Laura once, and like, and. She made an introduction. We had a nice little talk. And, That's awesome. Uh, she, she's lovely. She's actually from, her family's largely from North Carolina, I believe. Really? Huh. Uh, so she said she's the only Yankee in the family. Because <laughs> huh. she strikes me as like New Yorker through and through. Yeah, yeah. It, it killed me when they um, they were going to do it, but they're not going to do it now, a Madonna bio, biopic. Mm-hmm. And Julie Garner was going to play Madonna. And it was perfect casting. Yeah, and I mean, she's going to work as much as she wants for yep. the next 30 years. She's, she's really amazing. talented. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw her was on a show called The Americans, where yes. she had a recurring part, and she yep. was really fantastic. She was super good. Yeah. She played like a underage girl that one of the Russian spies seduces to get information about her father. Really? Yeah. Well, he actually, the story is that he's supposed to seduce her, yeah. but uh, he since she's around the same age as his own like biological daughter mm-hmm. he like has a He's crisis of conscience by, yeah. and oh. figures out yeah, a way. safer work podcast everybody <laughs> calm down yeah. calm yeah. down uh but her role on ozarks just phenomenal career defining seriously yeah. yeah she have you you not seen ozarks no, no. sit down with ebits and watch it she's old enough she, yeah yeah i mean <laughs> is it is it a hardcore show it's a, so, so basically the premise is... Is it, um, is it appropriate for a 15-year-old? I think she'd be okay with it. No, I'm talking about for me. Yeah. <laughs> is it okay? I mean, yes, yes, okay. yes. Okay. Yeah. Internally, my emotional child's like 15. Yeah, you're not going to get a lot of uncomfortable scenes that you have to sit there and watch with her. Okay, good. Yeah, well, maybe we will. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, I also had to, like, you know, I love, you know, the comic book movies, and it was yeah, it's yeah, great yeah. working on genre projects, but, you know, I love a good crime drama. You know, I love Breaking Bad and uh, shows like that. So, you know, getting a really, like, high-end uh, crime drama, you know, you think uh, under your is, belt. Is, is Breaking Bad your favorite TV show? Uh, Twin Peaks is my favorite. Oh, oh right. Right. Did you look at there. The, um, the, the, not the remake when they brought it back like a couple years ago? Yeah, I, I totally okay. totally watched that. I mean, the thing is, the weird thing about Twin Peaks is I cannot say it is the best show ever produced. It's wildly inconsistent yeah. at times. But at its heart, like, mm-hmm. I just, I can't get enough of Season one Twin Peaks might have been <laughs> you peak. That killed me. Uh-huh. So season one came out when we lived in peak Germany. Peaks. Yeah. Right, yeah. and German, uh, the we had American Channel over there, right? Mm-hmm. And Twin Peaks, the shows were already like a year behind whatever was airing really? in the states. Really, to get to Germany? Yeah, when wow. we got to, when we got to Germany, so we were leaving as Twin Peaks had just first started. I'm going, man, I got to find out who killed Laura Palmer. I can't wait to find this out. Mm-hmm. And when we got back to Tennessee, was when the second season was premiering. Right. And immediately, I knew who killed Laura Palmer, and it kind of ruined everything oh. for me. <laughs> So yeah. did you watch the second season though? I did. I've, okay. I never watched the um, the return that they did a couple of years ago in Showtime. Yeah. But no, Twin Peaks is awesome. Yeah, there's some you know there's some maddening stuff in that, and there's some genius stuff in that. Yeah. it's you know again it's a very mixed bag, but it's a mixed bag that I happen to you know enjoy sampling from. So I I, I really enjoyed the return. Uh, not everyone did. Yeah. And that's okay, because, you know, different strokes, as they say. i never heard that before in my life. Um, so Gary one thing, Coleman, you know, yeah. different strokes. R.I.P. Yeah. Okay, so this is going to be a hard topic. Uh-oh. Remind we've me again, already, what was the... Uh... So we've already done Batman, and uh-huh. we've done X-Men. Paul, you're a big fan of Amazing Spider-Man, right? 
Yeah, I mean, of, of the books that really made me a comic book fan, none more significant than Amazing Spider-Man. Awesome. How long is your run? Like, you have a lot, right? Yeah, I mean, I, there was a few years, uh, you know, when I moved out west that I, I stopped buying books regularly. But, uh, like, I have a few... Yeah, I mean, certainly none of the early books, but yeah. like in the mid, you know, mid hundreds, I sort of became aware of it and you would pick up a straight shot, but I'm, you know, I'm a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so I just read these things till they were coverless, mm-hmm. but, you know, there would be, uh, you know, a cliffhanger ending or it starts in the middle of a story because yeah. you're picking it up after the cliffhanger. So from about 193 to nine, whatever they're at right now? For the most part. Again, wow. there's a tiny bit of a gap from, you know, the, okay. the West Coast years, but not much of one. Okay. And Paul gets three of every issue. Yeah, uh, that's why we three call of every issue. Polly three issues. <laughs> so that's right. <laughs> so just, why do you do the three issues? I just, it's really an investment. I think there are certain books that yeah. over time just maintain their value and and are just desirable to collectors. One okay of those books is amazing. Cover Spider-Man. A's, three cover A's, or do three you... cover A's. Okay. The the occasional uh, variant, if I really like it, and Bill remembers to put it in my folder. <laughs> oh! Jerry, Jerry. I remember most of the Adam Hughes covers. Yeah, but, so you uh, like all the Adam Hughes covers? Yeah, he's my favorite artist. Okay. So, oh, wow. speaking of, oh yeah. So, speaking of that, so with Paul coming on, mm-hmm. Paul sh- shot a shot. He did the right. uh, Babe, Babe Ruth uh, pointing Called out his... to the outfield, mm-hmm. wherever. I'm not, I'm, I'm Gen Z, I don't know. Uh. <laughs> um, but Paul's like, whenever I come on, I want to do Spider-Man. Right. Yeah, we'll I'm give him Spider-Man. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited that I actually didn't start this with Spider-Man with how big of a fan I am. Well, I'm, but, glad, I'm glad that we waited. Yeah, because I think next to me... Mm-hmm. Paul, actually, Paul is probably a Paul's, bigger Spider-Man fan than I am. It's pretty close. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, I think Paul's got, got you beat on longevity. Yeah. Well, so I, we got a ton mm-hmm. of people uh, from our socials that also rung in. So we'll we'll go to them a little bit through this, but we'll just go around like once or twice and throw out some names that we think need to be yeah. in. Top five is what we're going to do. Mount Rushmore plus one. Stick with it. Um, top, top five Spider-Man artists. Yep. Yes. We time. usually make a fast, it's not a, it's not a hard rule, but usually like only one artist that's been in like the last 10 years. So we don't right. have a lot of recency bias. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I get that. But one I'd say is more than likely going to be on this list. And because mostly everybody on here also kind of mentioned him, McFarlane. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I sort of have an unimpeachable three, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, I I can be argued with for the the other two, but I have three that I just don't think you can move from. And when you get to me, I'll, I'll okay. Uh, well, what, yeah. what do you think, Bill? Well, I mean, I I I think McFarland's definitely in the top yeah. three. Like um, uh, two-time winner Ed McDonald um, <laughs> said that. Todd was a major game changer for the mm. art style when he came along. Because he's the one that really first started doing the big eyes, right? So, like, yeah, yeah, I mean, yep. Michael Golden was the Marvel art director at the time. And I think Michael Golden started doing it first and maybe Micronauts or the Nom. But you could tell McFarlane was definitely influenced by, by Golden. And he, he, he developed that. He, he kind of gave everybody kind of the, the anime-ish eyes. Oh, and, yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about that. I was mm-hmm. thinking about this earlier because McFarlane is obviously such a huge influence on me. You know, at first outset, it does seem like he has sort of an anime influence because he does so much exaggeration in his art. But if you really look at it, it's actually more influenced by 
Oh, not that I'm contradicting you, but right. it's almost like an Archie comics, like an old school American uh, art style, kind of almost through anime, but it's, it's still got the exaggerations, but it's really mm-hmm. a lot based in the, that classic American art too, just exaggerated. So it's this cool blend. It, it's it's exaggerated like anime, but not quite really. It's, it's really unique. Right, it yeah. is. And, uh, and at the time when it came out, there was nothing like it. Yep. yep. So when it hit the stands, a lot of Spider-Man fans were... were uh, really caught up in it right away and not only that but you know his his runs you know so he he had the run where he had eddie brock created eddie brock yeah wow. eddie brock becomes venom yeah um you have all the classic covers with um spider-man with cosmic spidey and uh, so it was just, I like the soup the the one the uh the christmas cover the oh, christmas cover one of my great. favorite yes, spider-man covers yeah yeah but uh, that era of marvel uh, mm-hmm. and yes mcfarlane is is one of the three on my list mm-hmm. uh I don't think, unless you were going to comic shops at the time, right. like those issues of Spider-Man were each month was an event. Right. It's like, oh, oh yeah, what yeah, classic yeah. villain is he going to draw this month? That's exactly month? what I was going to say. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, here's a lizard cover. Right. You know? oh, yep, and and yep. so it's just like waiting for him to put his stamp on mm. these different characters. Mm. You're just yeah, like a, yeah, because I can remember uh, Hulk. Yeah. Like I was reading Hulk with because yeah. uh, he started like kind of early in Peter David's run. Mm-hmm. Um and McFarlane's going, oh my God, he's great on the Hulk. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously that classic cover with Wolverine. Yeah. But then once he went to Spider-Man, it was like just... But no, he... It's, it's, so most people know him from with the spaghetti webbing also. Yep. Uh, he really kind of gave Spider-Man... Before the webbing, it wasn't necessarily just straight lines, but there wasn't a lot to the webbing. Right. right. Yep. And McFarlane really accentuated the, the kind of the... I don't know the artistry of the webbing. He did the mm-hmm. artist did the webbing and the eyes. Well, I mean, so yeah. much so that yeah. like other artists who were doing Spider-Man books at the time, they were kind of, uh, I'll, I'll use the word forced. Uh, they uh, they were asked to emulate, mm-hmm. you know, his style. Yeah. And 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 more than more than just the webbing, although the webbing was by by itself was fantastic, but you really saw uh, him contorted into all these peculiar yet kind of iconic dynamic poses mm-hmm. yep, yep. Uh, that felt much more insect like yeah 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 um, knees under did the... his spider-man one come before jim lee's x-men one i want to say it was after i believe it was it was after i think Cause... x-men came first but i'm not positive because he, he graduated to that book a little yeah. bit later mm-hmm. into his run because spider-man so. one is one of the most big comic events i ever remember right like just the yeah. hype of that coming out well x-men number one actually holds the guinness world book of records for the largest print run okay yeah no it also had and five covers it, because it had correct you had <laughs> yeah, five different covers spider it just had did it have the one cover or did they do like the so, little and so you had like you effectively had the one cover but they also had like several different what you call at the time variants yep. there was like a platinum cover yeah, yeah, and yeah, then yeah, there yeah, was silver. a silver yeah. and there was a weren't one that was, those later printings well so they did do some later printings but um some of the ones that they did were i think there was one that was a direct market that had a upc symbol and yeah so there's different variations of uh that was one of the books i really always wanted to try to get from comic store because of the mm-hmm. little box with another little mcfarland drawing down here oh yeah 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 but um but no i, I mean i think mcfarland is is going to be a consensus pick for all of us right mike seems like it seems yeah. like we are uh, all mcfarland stands as yeah, we say these yeah. Days. <laughs> well and he actually, you're like gen z too uh, <laughs> he, no he, cap he, <laughs> He actually, McFarlane actually, uh, in, late in his amazing Spider-Man run, uh, uh, came to a show in Knoxville. He did a wow. convention appearance here in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was sort of talking, you know, because, you know, most of us are awestruck. Like, he was my favorite artist on my favorite book at the time. Yeah. It was a Ziggy store, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah. I think Ziggy mm-hmm. was instrumental in bringing him yeah. in. 
you know, he was talking about, yeah, I, I'm, Marvel's going to give me my own Spider-Man book, and you know, he, and he said, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I won't be a good writer, but I think I've earned the right. To, he called to, that. I think he I've, did. Did. I think I've earned the right to try, yeah. which yeah, he yeah, absolutely yeah. has. Sure, he yeah. sold you know, so many books. So okay, so we'll go, Paul. Yeah. Um, well, I'm gonna go. Should I should I mention the other two on my Rushmore or let's, uh, let's just do one, one for now? Well, I think that with Spider-Man, you uh, cannot move past the foundation of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you cannot think of Spider-Man without thinking of Steve Ditko. So okay. solid, yeah. so solid. Uh, very. I mean, he was very peculiar and idiosyncratic, mm-hmm. and his characters, you know, were not necessarily super heroic. But that's kind of the fun of them, I think. Well, and, and not only that, but if you think of the traditional look of most of the Spider-Man villains, they're co-created by Ditko, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, and most of those uh, Mysterio is costume Ditko. changes haven't changed. Craven, the oh, traditional right. Craven is Ditko. They all still Scorpion kind of look is Ditko. Similar yes. to Dictos. Green Goblin is Ditko. Electro. Yeah. Electro. Yeah, just, so, yeah, think of all those. Cl- yeah, the all the six. classic uh, villains. So and he's your my favorite Spider-Man story of all time, right? The, the, the building uh, where he's issue 36 six, six. 31 mm-hmm. or 32 36 i don't think it's that high i think it's 36. let me look it up real quick we can yeah look it up there. shipley yeah, <laughs> yeah i go, got paul. one in i got one in way to go yes. paul but no i would i would definitely agree with that and i would say to, to add a, a third to that and, and right around the same time um I'm gonna to have to say John Romita Jr. Or I'm sorry, John Romita Sr. Yeah, oh, okay. that, that, that's my that's my unimpeachable three. I don't um, think nice. you can get because he past. came after. Dick so he was right after Ditko. After Peter Scott graduated from high school. And um, and so basically what happened was because Romita Sr. could not draw kids. Well, he drew. He came from drawing um, romance, romance comics, comics at the time. And okay. so he drew everybody really good looking. Yeah. And so uh, Ditko, or I suppose if you look at his Spider-Mans, Peter looks more like an average kind of a high schooler. Um, and kind of a twerpy. Huh? And it was kind of a twerpy. 33, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, 33. Yeah. Okay. Ah. So he looks more like a traditional high schooler. And, and even J. Joan and the villains look a little edgier, like a little more dangerous. Okay. And then when Romita came on, everybody got real good looking. You know, Peter, Peter <laughs> yeah. looked like a movie star. Yeah. It became uh, like the Amazing Spider-Man movies where it was hard to buy Andrew Garfield as put upon high schooler uh, Peter Parker because he's too good looking. In the costume, he's phenomenal. Yeah. When he's doing the quips and he's... he's, But but yeah, when you see him in high school and he's getting picked on, you're like, man, this guy in my high school would have uh, had no problems. All the girls would be for him. He's listening to emo music. Right. He's skateboarding. He's got cool clothes, you know? Yeah. But uh, Romita Jr. did not have that same issue with everyone looking like supermodels. So no, he, he <laughs> well, but by that time though, like, and Bill his, and I have talked about this before. Generally, I think if the you ask the vast majority of the planet to pick sort of a, a Spider-Man image that that's not live action, yeah. And you know, what do you mm-hmm. picture as Spider-Man? It would probably be a Romita Sr. Yeah, yeah. I would say here, looking at the list of the people who did. Who gave choices? Right. We had a lot of Ramita seniors. Only one yeah. for Dicto, which is kind of interesting. Weird. Uh, yeah. The only person that brought up Dicto was James Hodges. Okay. But Ramita Senior, like, is all over this list. Adam High School. Yeah. Um, Bobby Chamberlain. And that's because, like, what Paul said, you know, if you, if you think of Mary Jane, like, if I ask you right now to, to think of Mary Jane in your yep. head or think of Gwen Stacy in your head, more than likely you're picturing uh, Romita Gwen Stacy right now or oh, yeah, yeah. Mary Jane well and also how like long was that, his run on Amazing 
100 uh, issues? He yeah. stayed on past Close the, to, the yeah. death of Gwen, right? Yeah, well, and he also, I yeah. think he inked some he, he, yeah. he inked some issues that he didn't pencil. Right. Uh, so he was on the book Ooh. for, you know, for a very long, long time. time. And, yeah. and 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 of when you think of the classic Spider-Man characters, again, he, mm-hmm. the character he did establish the look for was Mary Jane. Right. Yep. Yeah. So you know, there, there's a feather in his cap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, he had to do a lot of like I guess uh, original creations too, being on the book that long. So he's probably. Yeah. I mean, the Rhino was uh, Morbius. Made a um, Kingpin. Kingpin. Oh, yeah, Kingpin. Yeah. 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 But now this is, um, most of the villains had already been, his run, it wasn't really chock full with first appearances, but it had classic Spider-Man stories. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. the drug issues, the death of Captain Stacy. Is it that iconic cover where Spider-Man's walking away from, Peter's walking away from the Spider-Man suit? That's issue 50, Spider-Man yeah. No More. Yeah. Is, Though I do think the drug issues were Gil Kane. Oh, yes. They, they came in the Romita run, but yeah, you're right. That's because you're on drugs right now. <laughs> uh, nothing but Aunt What are the drug Aunt, issues? I don't just remember Aunt the Aunt drug Wee issues. Cakes. So there were three issues in the 90s. I think it was issues 96, the 97, 90. and 98. Oh, the ni- okay. Yeah, in the yeah, issues, yeah. yeah I'm sorry. Yeah. In the, it came out in the 60s. So okay. in, yeah, late 60s, early 70s. But um, there were three issues that Marvel couldn't get the Comics Code Authority to approve at the time. And the Comics Code Authority was basically kind of the like the governmental oversight board yeah. that would give you a stamp of approval. And if you were a small store owner and you saw the stamp on the comic, you knew it was safe to carry out comic in your store. Yeah. That it wasn't going to be a problem with parents. Yeah. So unfortunately, the, the, the that storyline dealing with Peter at the time, it, I think he was on a college campus and it involved um, somebody, was it LSD, Paul? Well, I think uh, very specifically. Are you saying LSD Paul? Like that's another. Well, this was the phase. LSD comma Paul. Well, I do know there's a scene where you have like this, uh, like hippie girl on angel mm-hmm. dust on a ledge. Right. Spider-Man ends up oh, having wow. this. Oh wow! Oh yeah. But also these three issues didn't play. But also, um, like Harry gets hooked on. Uh, Harry Osborn gets mm-hmm. hooked on some stuff, and that's really oh, the wow. meat, okay. the spine of the story. Right. But it dealt, you know, with what would at the time. I mean, now it's quaint, but it didn't portray it in a glamorous light. No, 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 not at all. But, but just but the that's fact historically that, it that the comics code is on there. Was mm-hmm. the comics code on there when DC tackled the issues, like in the seventies? Yes. By that point, the comics code was a little bit okay or with the well, drug use. I, yeah, I mean the the thing with Speedy, I think was. Um, I think they viewed it more as a, a warning message, kind of like a, a very special They thought Amazing of, was glamorizing it? I don't know. I'm not sure why. Kids, you got to try this angel dust. I'm not sure why they... Well, I uh, think it was just the fact that it was depicted at uh, all with any kind of... Right, right. right. You know, yeah. any kind of yeah. re- reality. It's PG yeah. here, people. PG, come on. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, Mike. You know, I, I layered my list down to eight. It's not as concrete... Yeah. Mr. It's going to be hard to get this to but, um, Well, I have a five, but right. I those are my three that I can't be backed off of. I am going to lean into something a little uh, a little more recent. I'm sure that most of my picks are going to get mentioned here tonight, but I want to yep. throw out Sarah Pacelli. Oh, oh that's okay. a good pick. Yeah, yeah that I is think, a good pick. I think she's kind of flown under the radar, but you want to talk about consistency. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she had such a great run on Ultimate, which brought a lot of people back into comics. And, uh, you know, she's still drawing stuff today, and her, her skills are standing up. I, I think she deserves a name on the on the list, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve Simpson agrees with you. He said oh, her work that. in ult- the Ultimate line slash Miles Morales was yes. beautiful. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Sarah Pacelli's fantastic. I don't know if she can make my list, because mm-hmm. I don't know if she had kind of the the long run well that my, some other artists might have had right and, and i love sarah's work and 
I think my problem is is she's probably going to get squeezed because right, right, I right. think if I'm taking an artist from the Ultimate Universe, it's it's going to be Mark Bagley. And that's the one right? I was going to just say. Mark Only Bagley because yep. yeah, because of what he created with uh, Broad Michael Bendis the first. He, and I think they broke. Didn't they break the Stanley? They were general? over a hundred issues. Yes. Stanley Jack Kirby, Jack Kirby, yeah. hundred and two yeah. issues. And Bagley is um, currently drawing him too. So that and not only that, but Bagley was on Amazing right after. Was it right after um, McFarlane? I think he. I think, I, he I was, think he was Eric after Larson. Right after, after Eric Larson. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Eric Larson has the unfortunate timing of uh, following McFarlane right. on Amazing, right. and also regular Spider-Man. Oof. Right, right. That's rough. Yeah. And uh, you know, Larson, a talented guy. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, he just can't make my list. I He's can tell you right rough. now, there is a That's lot right. of. Uh, people on this list well because that loved larson because larson was the spider-man artist of probably the what you say like the mid to late 90s so the yeah. so the carnage era yeah. was larson right yeah um he was the one that kind of gave venom the crazy tongue yeah you know mcfarland yeah. kind of had a long tongue but larson would really get yeah, he made the iconic Vin, venom yes yeah kind of yeah so i mean I, I could see larson's my dark horse on this list i don't know if i'm gonna fight for him yeah but he's my dark yeah. horse and you know just because he's been on the books so often mm -hmm. and for such long stretches and especially if you consider ultimate um, right, you know, right. Bagley is a real contender yeah, I think uh, Bagley, he is not on my list okay. but he is a real contender and I think Bagley can't. might end up on this list though yeah. he, was, he, was um, on, he was on mine another one that I really dug I don't think he does a lot of Spider-Man mm -hmm. but Chris Pacello Okay. Um, what I like too, sometimes he does it with the Spider-Man chest. Is most people do the spider going up the chest. Uh -huh. He does sometimes where the spider is going down Descending. the chest, yeah. and I think it looks cool that uh, way. Because yeah. if you read his like the issues where Manhattan has the giant whiteout, uh, the blizzard, mm -hmm. it's drawn phenomenally, and he yeah. does a lot with the with the spider in those. I don't think he's done big runs on any of the Spider-Man books. Right. But I really dig the way he does Spider-Man. Similar situation. I don't think he's going to have a problem with longevity. Like he yeah. hasn't done a lot, but yeah, he's the stuff he has done has been phenomenal. Yeah, I mean they're they're fantastic artists who have drawn the character, mm -hmm. but maybe yeah. don't have you know like Art Adams, one right. of the great comic oh, book great, artists great. the last yeah. fifty years, right. has done a lot of Spider-Man covers, but I can't put him on the list. You know, yeah. J. Scott Campbell, one of the mm -hmm. biggest fan favorite artists, has yeah. had a lot of Spider-Man covers, but I can't. Really another example another example of that for me would be uh, Mike Zeck. He didn't do a whole lot. Yeah, but yeah, Craven's yeah. Last Hunt is so fundamental to me. Yeah, yeah. And the art is so amazing in that. I, I think of Mike Zeck myself. And, but. and his covers are very memorable. Yes. yes. You know, some artists, they, they, they're very good, but they don't have like memorable covers, like historic covers. But yeah. Mike Zeck's got yeah, that, a dozen. Yeah. Craven, if you're talking top Spider-Man stories, mm -hmm. yeah, I think Craven's well, we do last time is, is, like, is, stories, is right yeah. there. You can make an argument for it right. being number one. It's now I would say so good. Somebody else I was thinking, and you can say like his humans are the best, right? But the way he draws Spider-Man is phenomenal. Is Humberto Ramos? I like uh, okay. Humberto. Okay, yeah, I, I think I saw some people mentioning him. Yeah, uh, and he, he'd probably show up around number six on my list. Okay. Oh, nice. Some people don't, you know, his stuff is a little bit exaggerated, his hands and feet. and. But I think that works for the character. For Spider-Man, yeah. I think it fits Absolutely. more. And he does works. a lot. He's one of the artists that will always do a lot with the expression with the with the eyes. Yes, mm -hmm. that's true, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Which I think uh, the movies kind of started leaning into, too. Mm -hmm. um, and he's been on the, I mean, he's had multiple runs on the book right, yeah, through right. different different time, time periods. periods. Yeah. And you think about the exaggeration in his art that you're talking about. It feels like a natural progression from McFarlane, Bagley, Larson. Those all were artists that had that exaggeration. So he feels like, you know, he's going down that path with tweaking him out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Does anybody else think of any other ones before we start? Oh, yeah. I got, I got one. Yeah. I, I want to throw out our guest from last week, Ron Otley. Oh, yes. How could you not? And, and so he's another one, and he had a pretty pretty decent run. It seems like maybe he's on the book for maybe four or five years. Yeah, the next Spencer. Yeah. Uh, well, Daryl Pierce years. said, I got a great at Spidey remark coming, so I got to see Ron Otley. <laughs> well, so, there's, yeah. there's that, but also I, I would say his, and he's another one that there's his, his stuff is very fluid. Yeah, yeah, and It's yeah. very dynamic, and it's yep. full of action. Um, he does great battle scenes, of course. Yeah. Uh, anything involving uh, oh, the current runs of Spider-Man, I'd say, yeah, he's got the most positive all the current runs. Yeah, yeah, and he, he's one of those guys too. And he he uh, didn't miss a lot of deadlines. Like he didn't have a lot of fill-in artists in his run. Yeah. He did a pretty substantial run. And yeah, I mean, he, he, because that book comes out so often, he sort of tag teamed with Patrick yeah. Gleason. And so there's there was another some, one. Um, yeah, Patrick Gleason just for like probably the most iconic comic cover in the last five years yeah yeah for spider-man yeah i'd yeah. say that's true i think for iconic of anything yeah the, the big webhead cover yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's a great cover it's yeah. a great cover yeah uh, so if you don't mind i'm going to toss out another name okay. now again you, mm-hmm. you know my top three and i think we maybe actually have a point of agreement for those three i believe so i think the only one on there that kind of not for me a little bit is dicto because i don't know mm, okay how he holds up to some of the artists, but for right now, I'm okay with that. Because I like Dicto. Well, well I, I, I have to have say, so like, ones. Yeah. I, I, the I think first it's time, your era of when you're reading the books, too. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, because the first Spider-Man artists I remember, you know, I, I wouldn't have known their names at the time because I was a kid and didn't pay attention. But like Ross Andrew, mm-hmm. Gil Kane, Keith yeah. Pollard, who yeah. were all fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The guy I'm going to mention, mm-hmm. John Romita Jr. Okay. Yeah, I would, I would like to talk okay. about him. Yeah, I'll talk about him too i think his current work is hurting his legacy on Mm spider-man i hate to say that Mm -hmm. but the way he draws children is (laughs) these are these are straight facts yeah yeah it's kind of but i think it's just hard for me because i think like his legacy has been dampered a little bit by because i love john romita his daredevil run Mm -hmm. is amazing his his spider-man runs great too he had a really good night it was short but his run on x-men back in the day was yeah solid. his yeah. punisher yeah. stuff it's not, was really good. it's not that i don't hate ramita jr yeah i just feel like we got a ramita on the list <laughs> yeah but i also think he has drawn the character so often through so many eras yeah and whether you like the stories or not and yeah i mean some artists are better at drawing children than others <laughs> but like i just think that the length of time he has worked on the book you know i mean if i'm gonna put longevity on it mm-hmm. i yeah. prefer his work to bagley's work see i prefer bagley to to Ramita jr but what's your other one well hold on let me let me yeah. touch on Ramita jr if you don't mind real quick I, I i he is an important artist to me and yeah. i guess what throws him off to me is his inconsistency he'll go from drawing an issue to i'm like that was an amazing issue and then a couple later i'm like oh no what happened so yeah it, yeah, yeah it's his inconsistency that kind of throws me a little bit but there are times many times where i'll pick up Ramita jr spider-man book and think it looks fantastic he's one of my uh, amazing, i love i, I love say. Ramita jr but i just think like he's been a little tainted by this run Fair. Oh, and this is the point I was going to make about Ditko and kind of forgot yeah. to. The first time I saw Steve Ditko drawing, and again, I came up, you know, from the, you know, Ross Andrew and Gail Kane and yeah. all of those guys. The first time I saw a Ditko drawing of Spider-Man and Peter Parker, I, I became physically angry. Oh, it was oh. like, oh, that is, that's not, you know, oh, he's scrawny okay. yeah, and he's yeah, weird. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, no, that's not the Spider-Man I know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like, I remember like it was like some little paperback book or a magazine or something. I remember yeah. throwing it across the room. Whoa. I was like, that's not Spider-Man. Yeah. But uh, over time, as I came to appreciate, you know, different styles of art and yeah. sort of understanding 
how foundational he was to the character. Mm. Like I, yeah, I just I can't get past it. I think he's. Yeah, I mean he he created the character with Stan Lee. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think agree. Dicto, I'm good with. I'm not sure on Ramita Junior. That's fair. Uh, because like uh, that guy right over there is looking at his phone right now. So rude. Um, <laughs> got me for my birthday last year. The Amazing Spider-Man Omnibus. Awesome. It's a sweetheart yeah. gift. A super. I don't know how you're going to top it. It's a great. Um, <laughs> but the Dicto art inside there, it still holds up. So yeah. yeah, I think Dicto is good. I just want to echo on something Paul said as far as artists who had long runs on Spider-Man. I want to throw out, and I wouldn't put him in my top five, okay. but I would put him maybe in my top seven or eight, and that's Ross Andrew. What, what era uh, yeah. did he? Because uh, so somebody from, mentioned him, but I can't remember. Like Ross probably Andrew. like seven, like mid seventy six, seventy seven to like the mid eighties, maybe to oh, like wow. early, okay. yeah, quite a run. Uh, yeah, I don't know if he was on it that long, but be sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a lot of. When I think of like the Spider Man books I read as a kid, a lot of them were Ross Andrew. Spider-Man. Yeah, there's probably he probably did about seven seven solid years, maybe. But um, yeah, and Keith Pollard is another one that was in both those guys. Neither of them really kind of would stun you with their page work or their pencil work, but their stuff was always, the stories were great and their, their sequential storytelling is what was amazing was the fact that you could, you could read one of their comics and you could take out all the word balloons and I could, I could know exactly what's going on in a Ross Andrew comic with no words. I could just look at the art and follow the panels and I could tell you exactly what the story was. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I, I get so excited in these debates. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, the name I'm going to throw down for my number five, very like in the late eighties, kind of before McFarlane came onto the book, you had another artist who I think was really influenced by Ditko, mm-hmm. uh, a guy named Ron Friends. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ron uh, Friends. You know, a lot of, you know, the early Hobgoblin stuff was mm-hmm. Ron yep. Friends. Just, yeah, I just, I, and, and also he has the good fortune of drawing one of the great Spider-Man stories of all time, which is the kid who collected Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. That's great. <laughs> just, that's you know, and that alone, that story alone, like in my opinion, like, puts him high on the list he's he's in my top five okay wow um one other one i have and i don't think he's going to make the top five but mm-hmm. i just want him on here is sal basima basima yeah sal basima. All right. Um, All right. he did spectacular spider-man around the time that peter uh that todd mcfarlane was doing amazing uh-huh. um yeah but i like his style the way he he drew yeah, yeah. another yeah. one that's very energetic very energetic like yeah. very artsy with his style mm-hmm. yeah, but it's yeah. like one of those ones that if you see his art you know who he is oh yeah yeah absolutely our pal Sal yeah he never ah. got the run that his brother John got right but a, a very you know a very talented capable artist who could meet deadlines and, oh yeah you know yeah. could adapt his style even though he probably didn't want to to sort of be a little bit more like Todd McFarlane it's one of the great Conan artists of all time is he Sal okay. Sim- oh yeah yeah uh, I you know I, I, the guy's totally bedrock, but he's just not quite. Uh, yeah, I think he's right. Uh, for me, it would have been a dark horse. I'm not going to fight for him. Sorry, Sal. <laughs> you're, not, you're not my pal. Um, one other thing, just real quick, for people out there that don't know this, if you have any Amazing Spider-Mans lying around that McFarlane drew, check out the covers because on every cover he hid a spider. Yeah, yep. yeah, I think it's right. like a children's version of I know we're we're a kid show, like the Playboy covers where they would always hide the bunny on yeah, the cover. That's right. Yep. But uh, let me let me relay a story while you know, kind of you're is this settled, a Playboy magazine of, story. No, this is not a Playboy <laughs> magazine story. Years ago, I was in New York. I'm thinking this is 2017, something mm-hmm. like that. Right. 
I I can't remember how I saw this. I think it was an old-fashioned newspaper ad. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a building up there called the Society of Illustrators, um, and mm-hmm. and uh, they were having uh, a display, basically a museum display of Spider-Man art, and uh, it was largely Ramita Senior. Uh, I think that the, the curator was, or the the chief guy who was donating the art for the exhibit was like a Ramita senior collector. Right. So we had hmm. tons of splash pages and all kinds of stuff. Hmm. Uh, one, but they also had most every significant Spider-Man artist had at least a page of original art on display. Uh, they had the entirety of the kid who collected Spider-Man. Oh, really? wow. All the pages. Whoa. Every page. And the uh, the story Ryan was talking about earlier, I think it's called The Final Sacrifice, where, mm. you know, the Ditko, where he's being, he's holding being up crushed the, by the giant the building. Yeah. Yes. Uh, they had, I think that's a six-page sequence, if I remember correctly. Mm. And they had five of the oh, pages. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. I would have done, like, some kind of Ocean's 11-style Ocean's <laughs> <laughs> heist. National treasure? Yeah. <laughs> But they, you know, they had newspaper strips and, uh, wow. but just, yeah, again, but it was largely Ramita senior right. and my God, like they were stunning. Like the line work was so clean. The inks were yeah. so clean. Uh, and they worked in a much larger format than you would see artists working at now, if they're even working it, physically. You know, it's crazy to think is that in the sixties and seventies, the artists didn't even get to keep the pages. <laughs> they would uh, they would they would do the art and uh, either send them to the Marvel office or leave them in the Marvel office and then Marvel would just keep the art. At least and, they kept it. And they would have and well, not in every case. Not oh, in every no. case because a lot of times there was there's famous stories where um, the Marvel bullpen would call and order Chinese food for lunch and they would tip <gasps> they would tip the delivery guy they nobody would have cash and they would tip the delivery guy a piece of art whoa they would just open that's, up a drawer that's what i'm going to do as a time traveler I'm go back in time <laughs> yes. get a job at their favorite delivery place yes. Wong's Palace. Yes. And, uh, but yeah, they would, uh, everybody, wow. everybody pat themselves down, be like, anybody got a five dollar bill? And then they would just open up a drawer and grab a, uh, a Barry Windsor Smith Conan page and give it to this delivery That's driver. Or, or Jack Kirby wow. or, 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 or whatever would they had random, on hand, random. Yeah. I wonder how many of those uh, delivery drivers were mad and like, what is this? Right. Just wandered yeah. up and threw yep. it away. Amazing uh, Fantasy 15. <laughs> what is this? Yeah, um, but there was a time when original art was not valued in the way it is now. Well, it's like Stan Lee always felt embarrassed to say that he was a comic book writer. Right. Because there was like, there wasn't what people, people were still kind of ignorant own comic books at that time yeah it was kind of still stigmatized as a, a kid's entertainment yeah, yeah i imagine yeah. his opinion of that changed in his later years yeah i think so too yeah <laughs> um okay so i do okay so we got we're definitely for three and i hope this episode really mm. gets people out there because like i said not a lot of people put dicto on this thing only one person did maybe we get, get people, people looking into steve ditko yeah because because he doesn't get the credit he deserves for what he did i mean and, and, and not, it's not stan lee just trying to steal the credit just, from him not just spider-man but yeah. steve ditko was also seminal in creating uh dr strange. strange yep um creating the question um uh, the creeper the creeper at, at dc yeah. correct yeah. i mean he was that man was a, yeah. a comic genius it's a shame he kind of like kind of hid himself from the world he became a recluse and yeah, uh, yeah and one, one of the most interesting characters yes. himself in the history of comics. So if there hasn't already been a biography written after his death um, there needs to be one written because if someone wants an interesting uh, story the life yeah. of Steve Ditko would make one. And do yourself a favor. Figure out a way to read Amazing 32 and 33 with the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, that shaped, that changed my life when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. To a lot of people like that's the image of Spider-Man. Yep, like you, you can boil that character down to 
you know, being completely trapped and hopeless well, and finding a way. It's to, perseverance. Yeah. It, it's, it's overcoming a, a insurmountable obstacle. You know, everything that Spider-Man kind of. They kind of remake for. the scene in a way in Homecoming. Yes. Yeah. 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 But, uh, and ultimately he's helping people. So that also right. ties into it. Yep. But, okay. but that image is a Steve Ditko image. It is. So. Yeah. Okay. So we got three. So we got three. Which were McFarlane, Ditko, and Remedia Sr.? Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm, I'm going to make my pitch for Bagley at number four. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to agree with your pitch because I go with longevity. It's and, longevity. And I think that and and he's my, still working as Spider-Man today. Still doing today. Is he my favorite Spider-Man artist? No, he's not. But his, what I give it up to him for is his style fit for, for Ultimate Spider-Man especially. Yeah. So he, he drew kind of everybody real thin and, and childlike. And, and for Ultimate, which was a reboot of where you were telling classic Spider-Man stories, but it was set in the modern day. It was kind of like yeah. tw- twisted. And most of them were hits with the Isn't that film. John Byrne's Spider-Man chapter okay. one? If you ask John oh. Byrne, yes, that's what he says. Um, uh. But no, he's had a long run. And like we say, he's he's back on the book right now, which is hot right now because of the introduction of Spider-Boy. Right. Because right. those are selling out quickly, right? Like Almost every, even the second Prince I sold out of. Yeah, and just so people know, Edge of Spider-Verse number three it's going to have another story, spider believe, boy right? yeah mm. yep and his art also to me it, it seems to have one foot in two worlds he has a modern style but also he has one foot in more of that ditko sort of realistic style too mm-hmm. so he has a flirtation with some modern exaggeration but also right. a very foundational fundamental style too yeah Definitely. i uh he, he is not on my list but i can you know i i can i can go with it you right. know yeah. um i again i there may be no one who has drawn more individual issues of spider-man especially if you include ultimate than mark bagley right yeah so number five then i guess number five is gonna be tricky that's hard but this is the thing is like whoever we pick at number five nobody's gonna lose sleep because there's been so many great spider-man artists great candidates mike do you because you've not really do you have any that you would really that you would love to see at five I would put it a tie between Ramos and Larson, probably. And Larson's not my favorite, but I can't deny his impact on it following that era. And I read so many books with him in it. I might go with Ramos. Ramos over? Yeah. I think I might. Yeah. I would go with Ramos over Larson. So, Even though okay. I, actually, I actually own uh, a Larson Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, page. wow. Really? That's cool. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, which is actually kind of rare because apparently he lost a lot of his original art because oh, he had a sucks. house fire. Oh, does, no. Does it have Spider-Man on the page? It does. Oh, cool. Yeah. Even better, yeah. Uh, Spider-Man, Black Cat, Scorpion. Wow, great. Yeah, I loved Larson growing up because he reminded me a lot of Walter. Uh, how's his last name pronounced? Walter Walt Simpson? Simonson? Yeah. Mm-hmm. On mm. Thor. So he's got kind of a... Larson's got like an old throwback Marvel style. Yep. Almost like somebody like a Silver Age Marvel artist that's been brought to today. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I think I do like Ramos's art better. I think I'm okay with Ramos at five. I kind of associate Larson more with Spider-Man than That's Ramos. Fair. That's fair. Okay. Yeah, so but Ramos I, has drawn a lot more Spider-Man yeah. than Larson. Now has. that I think about do it, yeah. Do we want to do something crazy here and do a tie at five? <gasps> oh. I think it's kind of cheating. I okay. think we need to decide. Right. We could do a runner-up. Thank you for keeping us honest. So I, 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 think, um, I think I am going to come down on the side of Humberto Ramos. So you're going to do Ramos, you're at Ramos, Paul? Uh, I, I can I can live with Ramos. Okay, so what's our, who's our top five, Bob? Well, that would be Mr. Todd McFarlane, Steve Ditko, uh, John Romita Sr., Mark Bagley, or Bagley, I'm not sure these days, and Humberto Ramos. Yes. I think it's a good list. I think it's a solid list. I'm going to be curious when we do this in a 
a couple months with riders. Right. Yeah. I think that's going to be fascinating. That's but still I, not solid. Like tomorrow, my list might change a little bit in there. We love it all can these always artists so change much. Because like you look at that, we had 20, 30 comments and there were all kinds of different artists on there. There is a name I want to mention and I think he doesn't get a lot of run because he was uh, largely drawing the book during uh, the, the kind of bloated clone saga Dang. era. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Stephen Butler drew Web of Spider-Man yeah. for a very long time. Heck of a guy. Yeah. Like, is I know a... Stephen. This is, and I'm, I'm actually currently uh, so have a Stephen Butler sketch. His, Paul's brought a sketchbook here. And uh, oh, I think yeah. for that era, he was fantastic. He's just rock solid, like, all mm-hmm. the way. And a uh, heck of an artist. I just wanted to mention Stephen Butler's name, even though he may not ultimately make the top five right. list. We're going to take a picture of this for the so Yeah, definitely a cool sketch. A beautiful sketch. Big one, too. It takes up the whole page. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. When you come on the next time, we spoke a lot tonight, like introducing everybody to Paul, getting uh, wow. showing his sketches. Oh, but we're yeah, definitely going to be showing... Personalized. The Stephen Butler Two-Face what? and the wow. uh, Batwoman. Okay, that, that Batwoman is insane. But yeah. Paul has brought this, but we don't have time tonight, unfortunately. But Paul, we're going to have a whole episode where we're going to do the writers, and Paul's going to show this sketchbook, these three sketchbooks off. Oh, yeah, look at that. Let me see that one. Isn't that gorgeous? Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Because, Paul, you have three sketchbooks there. Yes, I do. Um, with some incredible art. So, yeah, we're, that's... Because Paul's been collecting sketches for, golly, We're going to give him a tease. Yeah, there's going to be... 25, 30 years. Yeah. So. Oh, gonna, yeah, yeah. That episode, yeah. you're going to definitely want to look at the socials to see that art. But I guess at this point, we're going into recommendations. Yeah, the council has spoken on Spidey, so uh, it's probably time to kind of start getting this We need up. like one of those uh, mallets. Like a gavel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're talking about? What's a mallet? We could call it a mallet. It's Is a mallet thing. like a big one, like like slapstick? A mallet's like what Harley Quinn carries. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Okay. But I think we did a great list there. Yeah. Is it my list exactly? No, but I can't find fault with those choices. I mean, but the, it just speaks to the level of quality of Spider-Man artists well, yeah, yeah, through yeah. the century, yeah. I mean, through it's, the decades. It's but that's probably, why we're happy to have you on here, because you're passionate about Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't get to read the book nearly as much as I would like anymore, uh, just because the, the ironic thing about working in the film industry and is that we work such crazy long hours that we have less time to consume the things that we love like right, we right. work so long making movies we see fewer movies yeah 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 <laughs> uh, it's a we, monkey's ball you know, yeah you know i'm working <laughs> on uh, or have been working on a uh, a marvel project uh, the nda special but uh you know i just don't have time to read the books that it's based on yeah so. yeah yeah um so recommendations all right i'm gonna start off with the special thing we're gonna do recommendations yes um for me, listening to this episode, the first person to private message me, look it up, Shipley, yes. is going to win this, a copy of The Brave and the Bold, number one. From 1960. <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> from 2023. Um, I bought the book, I got the book not realizing it was an anthology, and mm. anthologies are always kind of iffy, um, if they're going to be good or not, like every story is going to be good. But didn't it have like a, is there a Tom King story in there? There's a Tom King. I think it's a reunited with the guy who, uh, Mitch... Uh, Gerard's. That did the Riddler story with them, right? For the One Bad Day. And they did uh, Strange Adventures together. Yeah. It's part one of, I don't know how long it's going to go. 24 pages of the anthology is that story. Mm-hmm. It's solid. The way they do the Joker's dialogue right. is so clever. And I've not seen anything done like that before. So how do you win this uh, fabulous book? So you just got to uh, private message me. Look it up, Shipley. Look it up, Shipley! And the first person to do it. 
wins it. Let me grab my phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you um, sold out, so you can put it back up for sale. Make, oh, make a customer. Okay. Make yeah, a customer so uh, right now it's sold out here, but Bill will be getting more copies in. So if you don't end up winning my copy, and by the way, it's it's still in great shape, Bill. Don't worry. <laughs> um, Mike. I am going to recommend a brand new podcast by a friend of the show, Jamie Skull, my dearly beloved. Ah, uh, uh, Jamie. Yeah, she and uh, her friend Amy Knight have been working on a podcast based around the service industry, telling oh. all sorts of uh, restaurant stories. Uh, unlike this show, it is not safe for work, as you might imagine, <laughs> for yes. those kind of environments. But, you know, they put a lot of work into it. They got a lot of authenticity. Uh, they're just starting out. So you guys should check out Tales from you gotta the Tip. You got to get Blankford over here on that show. I have a fantastic yeah. Caesar salad story. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it will blow your mind. Get him on the show yeah. so we can hear it. <laughs> You'll never eat another Caesar salad again. Uh, but again, that was Tales from the Tip, much like Tales from the Crypt. And Check it can it be out. found the same places that we find this podcast. All the podcast places. Uh, Bill. That's awesome. So I'm going to recommend a, a, a new album. I think it came out. Or it actually, I don't think it's been released yet, but the track listing has been released and it's phenomenal. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, Dolly Parton's new uh, album. Uh, I think it's her. called Rockstar. Oh, okay. And so if there was, a little, there was a little kerfuffle a while back where she had been nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I think she kind of politely declined because she didn't consider herself a rock artist and she hadn't put out a rock and roll album. So she figured she's going to rectify that. So she has uh, released a, a track list. And just to give you a, an idea, I know she's doing Open Arms with uh, Stephen Perry from Journey. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's like a mixture of covers and original work. So right? it looks like it's mostly covers. It says here, 30 song record will include 30 nine, songs? nine 30 original songs. songs and 20 iconic covers. It's, uh, she's right. doing Magic Man with Ann Wilson from Heart. Purple, Where's Nancy? Purple Rain. What? Uh, Baby, I Love Your Way with Peter Frampton. Nice. With this talking guitar. <laughs> uh, Wrecking Ball with Molly Cyrus, of course. Uh, doing Heart of Glass with Debbie Harry. Wow. But yeah, it's just, oh, and, uh, and Let It Be with uh, the remaining Beatles that are alive. What? Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. What? Uh, and then doing Free Bird with the remaining members of uh, Leonard Skinner that so are still So far, it looks like November 17th is uh, when it's coming out. And ironically, you know, speaking of kind of comic books, there are uh, variant covers for the Dolly Parton rock and roll album. Is that right? <laughs> what? Really? Yeah, there are multiple, uh, multiple uh, what are they, album what are What's going on on the variant covers? Ship, you got to get the Scotty Young one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I do know that, uh, the, I guess the, what we would call the A cover is right. her in like a, this like really cool souped up car, which I yeah. know belongs yeah. to her niece. Uh, oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's going to be a great album. And you said you've heard the first song from it, and no, it's... no, no. I just okay. saw I saw the track list, and I was okay. just blown away at all the people. I shouldn't have been because everybody wants a chance to work with Dolly. And I, it, I tell you, if anything, it makes me wish that Rick Rubin would produce a, a Dolly Parton album. Ooh. Oh wow! Um, yeah. Kind of do something similar to what he did for Johnny exactly. uh, there at the you know toward the end of his life. Yep, Dolly yeah. Parton's a good person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, is there anyone more you know? And, and everybody has their detractors. Mm -hmm. but is there any human on the planet more beloved in general than Dolly Parton? If she <laughs> ran for president, she'd be very difficult to beat. I will yeah. say that. I remember, like a couple of years ago, somebody that was on the cartoon Squidbillies mm -hmm. 
kind of stepped up and kind of dissed Dolly Parton uh, about something. Yeah, that didn't work And out. the amount of people that went after him for yeah. going after Dolly. Yeah. Yeah, people love her third Dolly. Yeah. And, and, and rightly so. I mean, can you so, think of so few people yeah. who have genuinely done demonstrable good at the level she has done Yeah, and, in, in the world? It's, it's astounding. And continuous throughout her whole life, like from the time she was young up until, I mean, even now she was donating money for the COVID yep. vaccine. Oh, and she does the uh, book program. She does. So my both my daughters received a book from the Imagination Library, I think once a month for uh, the, until they turned 12 or 13, I believe. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, what is your recommendation, Polly Parton? Oh, God. <laughs> You'd been saving that, hadn't you? Rod sitting on I, it. I, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah, if I, any association with yeah. Dolly Parton is a, is, a, is a big W in my book. Oh, uh, currently Barry. On oh, HBO. There we go. There we go. Extra- I mean, and this coming Sunday is the last episode, yep. I believe. Is it the series finale? The series finale. Okay. Well, yeah. And, and the, these days, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Uh, you know what they might decide to do in ten years if Bill Hader is uh, is interested. And he's but, directed uh, every episode this year. Yeah, and, and you know it's a show that sort of began very overtly as a comedy, mm-hmm. kind of a dark comedy, right? Uh, and at a certain point, they realized, okay, this guy who is you know ex-military and is very good at killing people but kind of emotionally blank Mm -hmm. like it's we kind of have to if we take this at all seriously we sort of have to go think about why he is the way he is and and, uh and it doesn't like outline oh you know he was abused or he was desensitized by the military it never goes there but it does sort of explore his headspace in ways that are are, are pretty serious yeah uh, but still yeah. The, there's humor in every episode and the the episode in season two i think have how many you, you watch barry i haven't seen I'm current you... on it yeah. oh the okay. the the, the uh yeah, the mongoose episode you know the mongoose episode was good <laughs> and there's one in season three which is a 15 minute chase sequence mm-hmm. where he's getting chased oh, by this motorcycle God, yeah. game mm-hmm. and it's phenomenal what really? they do in it but yeah it's um all on mac Max, I hate HBO Max. HBO Max. We're still calling it HBO Max. I still call it that. I still call it WWF. And if you you like broadcast, it's on actual HBO itself. Yeah. Uh, But (laughs) it'll wrap up this year. And it's not a big commitment. I think it's it's four seasons. Each season's like eight to ten episodes. Mm -hmm. And half an hour. Um, Phenomenal. Uh, Henry Winkler is so good on this show. But no, that's a solid pick. Well, this episode has been cinematic. Oh, yeah. It has been action packed. Whoa. Yeah. It has been informative. Oh, yeah. okay. I think we should probably get to wrap it up. I hope you keep going with no, some more. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I can't wear should. out all my actions. Mike had the source out there. <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh, all I know is I need to start thinking about Spider Man writers. Oh, yes, that's yes. Correct. That's upcoming. Be our next. I think that's going to be an interesting and one. And or villains. Hotly Ooh. contested. Oh, we're going to at one point do the top five villains of different characters, too. So, content. Yes. Content. But yeah. karaoke thing is ended. It's time for us to enter. <laughs> yeah, with special thanks to our special studio audience tonight. Yes. yes. Hey, thanks for showing up. <laughs> yeah. And I am Mike D. I'm Ryan. And I'm Bill. And I'm Paul. Parton. We'll see you in oh. the funny books. Bye. Adios. <laughs> 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 <laughs>